Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards and here with me today is my co-host Barnaby King. Ahoy! Ahoy! And how are you doing today? I'm warm. Yep, it's a hot day. <laughs> I don't like the heat. I'm sorry. Uh... If Barnaby starts to make a bit of a slump partway through, you will know why. I slump now. <laughs> Okay, so Barnaby, you've never watched Forrest Gump. Nope, never seen it. And I'm going to tell you something that happens in Forrest Gump, which I saw when I was a child, and I thought, that's not true. Okay. Okay, so Forrest Gump, just so you know, Barnaby, Mm -hmm. it's the story of a man who happens to intersect with a lot of American politics over the course of, like, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I'd say. Oh, okay. Did you not know this? Uh, no, I have only the vaguest idea of what that film is about. I've steered away from it from uh, when some people tried to stab me while um, they were quoting it beforehand. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Yeah. Fair reason to avoid a film. Yeah. But in any case, the reason why people like Forrest Gump so much is because it does talk an awful lot about American history in the recent years. Right. And Forrest Gump, who is um, not... Uh, he's not bright... <laughs> is Forrest Gump. Challenged? I would say so. Hmm. Um, He, at one point, shows that he has an amazing ability with ping pong. Oh, okay. And he learns this while he is a soldier recovering from an injury in Vietnam. Right. Okay. And at one point, he mentions that his job after Vietnam becomes to do table tennis. Like, that's all they want him to do because he's so amazing at it. Yeah, but it's it's not the same when he goes back. They can't use fresh eyeballs anymore. <laughs> Gross. Um, and at one point he says, and I got sent to the great land of China. Right. And he says, we're like the first people to get sent there in a million years or something. Okay. And it's this weird throwaway line. And then after that, there's a bit with him and um, John Lennon, which is quite funny. Um, And like introduces the concepts of imagine to John Lennon. Um, But I watched this and I was like, what? Sorry, he went to China to play ping pong. Hmm. And then I did my A-level history. Yeah. It turns out that Actually, ping pong was really important in opening up relationships between China and America in in the early 1970s. Oh, right. This was a thing. Nixon and Mao getting across the table, a ping pong table, and just hashing things out. Oh, if only. But it was close. (laughs) Ah. It was very close. So much so that this part of American Chinese history is called the ping pong diplomacy. Oh, okay. That's right. Today, I'm going to talk about that time when ping pong got political. Right. Okay. So the year that this all started was in 1971. And at this point, the Vietnam War was still going on. Mm. And it was dominating the the American news. Right. So the Kennedy administration had originally got involved in the war in 1963. Oof. And it had just been escalating since then. So in 71, it was Nixon who's in charge. Wait, so, sorry, the Vietnam War started in 63? No, the Vietnam War started in 1955. What? <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't realise this war went on so long. It lasted 19 years. What the hell? I thought it was, like, quite short. Yeah, I know, right? 
but no, this is the reason why it was it's such a big deal and you've got so many Vietnam vets like yeah. being such a big, you know, issue because it went on for years and years and years. And America first sent like 16,000 troops to South Vietnam in 1963. Wow. And then after him um was Johnson and Johnson was like really into fighting this war. Right. So he hurled wave after wave of his own men <laughs> of the problem. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, so by 71, Nixon, who for some reason I always assumed was responsible for America's part in the Vietnam War when I, mean, I was young. You know what? I think I did too. But yeah. I think that might have been because of Watchmen. I think it's because of Futurama. <laughs> Don't know um, why. Future, yeah, Futurama, I could see that having an influence as well. Yeah. So... <laughs> So Nixon was trying to find ways to get out of this war because it had become really unpopular and it had already killed 30,000 American soldiers. All he needs is one big blue naked guy. That's true. Mm. That will sort that out in the most explosive and horrifying way. Oh, yeah. Actually, the way they're going to solve it is much nicer and involves pandas. Oh, I know. Cute. Um, so at this point, though, the US and China were officially not on speaking terms. Mm. They were having these meetings, though, that no one talks about, which were like apparently the most boring and unproductive meetings ever. I mean, it, it, you know, what? all I'm thinking of is it's like a breakup and they have to have these meetings because, you know, they've got to sort out. You've still got some DVDs of mine. Mm-hmm. I, I'd quite like them back, please. And it's like... <laughs> Except that your DVDs are South South um, Vietnam. Yes. God, I keep trying to say Korea, but I the Korean War had just happened as yeah, well, yeah. like, to be fair. <laughs> it's not a good combo. Okay, so also... China was following a policy of isolationism following on from the Cultural Revolution. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they felt like there were loads of signs up everywhere basically basically calling the Americans dogs. Yeah. So in all the middle of this, Mm. and there's a lot going on, and there's even more stuff going on in America. Yeah. You know, they are still having a lot of civil rights stuff going on. (laughs) There's just so much everywhere that's happening. In the middle of all this, the 31st World Table Tennis Championships held in Nagoya, Japan, seem like they should be incredibly irrelevant. Mm, yeah. And in fact, they were seen as incredibly irrelevant by the Americans. Fair enough. Um, so the US Table Tennis Association was too poor to send a team oh, no. to Japan. So the members had to like get their own money together. Oh. Some of them, like one of them raised her money to go at a... Um, like a high school right um, and <laughs> mugged all the high school kids <laughs> no 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 like some of them just saved up so they could go yeah. some of them had to like raise money mm. um, the youngest member of the team who was 15 years old uh, Jude, Judy Bachensky and mm-hmm. um, her dad had to take out a bank loan so that she could go to Japan damn um and this is, the, this is the thing. Normally, if you're going to send people to a championship, yeah. you're not expecting them to be teenagers. No. But a reasonable number of the team were teenagers. It wasn't just Judy. It's just making me think of the Queen's Gambit. I mean, it is a little bit like the Queen's yeah. Gambit. And and we'll get into the political side of it, you know, in a bit. Nice. Just like Just like with the Queen's Gambit, really. Excellent. And... Um, so they were ranked 23rd in the world. Okay. And they were the only team that didn't have a uniform. Ah. So literally, they turned up, they just looked <laughs> like the weirdest mix of people. Well, howdy, we're here to try out the ping pong. Well, this is the thing. I 
I made the assumption, which yeah. one should never make, that everyone was white. Oh, right, yes. And, you know, probably backwater hillbillies. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, they had um, black ping pong players. They had originally Korean ping pong players. Ah. Um, they had a lot of different people. It was a weird mix. Mm. Uh, there were some people who were very corporate America and there right. were hippies. Oh. There were teenagers like Judy. There was just this bizarre mix going on. God, that that's the melting pot right there. <laughs> it was the melting pot because the US government had no say in anything. It wasn't really very official. It yeah. was a group of like severe amateurs going to play ping pong. And you said they were ranked 23rd. Yeah. Out of how many? Do we know? I think it's like 40 something. Right. So, you okay. know, they're, they're all Sounds right. reasonable. But you've got to bear in mind that there are some people who take table tennis real seriously in mm. this competition. Yeah. So, you know, they're okay. Yeah. But they're also a bit of a shambles. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, they need to be smartened up. We need to my fair lady them. Oh, no. <laughs> no, we don't. Oh. Um, Okay, they didn't do well, by the way, in the World Championships. Yeah, I'm just going to straightforward yeah. tell you, they didn't do well. However, this did not stop them from influencing world history. Ah, okay. And this is because at one point during the, during the games, Glenn Cohen, who was a teenage hippie, yeah. gestured at Liang Zhiliang, who was a young member of the Chinese team, okay, and offered to practice with him. Right. Now, apparently... This really shocked Liang because um, Cohen was an American yeah. and they'd been told not to talk to the Americans. Yeah. Um, so Liang called him a reactionary and ran away. I mean, <laughs> I, I think he was tempted. Um, he was also a bit shocked because Cohen was only a third-ranked table tennis player. He was first rank and actually right. was an insult for him to ask Liang to play. <laughs> oh, these uncouth Americans. How dare they? <laughs> So Liang actually went and checked with an official Aww. at this point to be like, what should I do? <laughs> Is it okay for me to play with this guy? That's bizarre, but yeah, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. And he was told, go back and play a short game in order to be polite. Mm. So he did. And, and whooped his ass. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Because, <laughs> because Glenn was not an amazing table no. tennis champion at all. And Liang was incredible. <laughs> um, now, on the 5th of April, yeah. like, during these games, Glenn Cohen left the practice hall to find that there was a bus waiting for him. Right. And he assumed that this was a shuttle that was going to take him back to like his hotel. Yeah. Um, so he... Now, at this point, he either boarded it by accident... <laughs> Or he was invited on this bus. Right. So he says that he was asked to board the bus. Right. The Chinese say that he boarded it by accident. I mean, I, how, how are you going to board that bus by accident? Well, we do know that he was constantly very high. So oh, it is quite possible that he yeah, would have done I this. I forgot that fact. Because otherwise it would be like... I'm just thinking that bit in The Simpsons where Homer goes to a lesbian bar. <laughs> he looks around and he's going, there's something odd about this place, but I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> there's no fire exit. <laughs> um, okay, so he gets on this bus. Yeah. And as soon as the bus heads off, mm -hmm. he, he realizes that every other person on the bus is a member of the Chinese Team. Well, yes, yeah. And he's like, oh my god. 
he should probably pipe up at this point and be like, um. So apparently, according to everyone there, they just stood, like they just looked at each other in silence for several minutes. (laughs) Am I a hostage now? Difficult to say. (laughs) Um, Luckily, he did have a translator with him. Yeah. Um, and so he dis- he tried to diffuse the situation. Yeah. And he said this, which I think is hilarious. He said, I know all this, my hat, my hair, my clothes look funny to you, but there are many, many people who look like me and think like me. We too have known oppression in our country and we are fighting against it. But just wait, soon we'll be in control because the people on top are getting more and more out of touch. Because as a hippie, uh, he's very angry at the government yeah. and he has some kind of feeling for, you know, revolutionaries. Yeah, kind of probably one of the better people to actually have this happen to them. He probably is one yeah. of the best people out of those out of the team yeah. to get on this bus. <laughs> and at this point, Zhuang Zedong got up from his seat that was towards the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zhuang Zedong had been like one of the best table tennis players in the whole world. Yeah. And the people around him were like, what are you doing? Sit down. Don't go and talk to this man. Yeah. They'd been told not to talk to Americans. I want, I'm just imagining this whole scene as if it was like an anime. I mean, to me, <laughs> it's a Coen Brothers film. Oh, like, yeah, that would also make sense. It's bizarre. Yeah. And he goes up to the front of the bus and mm-hmm. he presents Cohen with presents. Oh. He gives him a little badge of Chairman Mao. Oh, delightful. And, I know. <laughs> as Who well... doesn't want a badge of Chairman Mao? <laughs> okay, the weird thing is like later in this story, there's a slight thing where one of the female members of the team, while still in Japan, goes and gets a badge of Zhu Enlei, who is like the premier of China. Right. I don't know where you'd get a badge of Zhu no. Enlei in Japan <laughs> in 1971, but she managed it. Fair enough. Um, so I don't know, maybe you do want a badge of Chairman Mao at this point. Hard to say. Um, he also gave him a silkscreen portrait of the Huang Huang Mountains. Oh, that's nice. It's really pretty. You can see yeah. a picture of it because uh, Cohen was the son of a PR man. Right. And was really big about like creating this relationship between China and America. Yeah. Um, so the next day he was up in front of the press, like waving the silk screen thing, being like, get pictures of this. This is incredible. Oh, nice. Um, and also uh, Cohen and Zedong shook hands. Yeah. Okay, so the next day, after Cohen's been waving his silk screen thing about, going, yeah. look how incredible, um, he was waiting for Zhuang because he was already out of the tournament because he wasn't particularly good. Mm. Um, he was waiting for Zhuang after a game. He'd gone shopping. Okay. And he had found matching t-shirts for them. Aww. Adorable. Best best friends forever. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) It's the hippiest shit you've ever heard. Okay. Okay. It's got a heart. Yeah. Which is the American flag, but with the peace symbol on a corner of it. Right. Right. And then underneath, let it be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, yes. So he gives Zhuang this t-shirt um, and he gave Zhuang a really big hug in front of the press. Right. And the press goes absolutely mad. Yeah, well, you would. Now, this 
like seems like just kind of a cute story with a mm. little bit of a meat cute in it. Yeah. But it turns into something really big. Right. Because Mao has access to the international newspapers, as in right. Chairman Mao has yes, got access. Yeah, yeah. So he reads about what's going on and he's like, maybe this could lead to something good. Mm. So one night after he's taken his pain medication... and this is a thing because the nurse had been told not to listen to anything he said after he had taken his pain medication but he was very insistent right he said god that poor nurse what a situation to be in (laughs) i know especially with someone like chairman Mao. exactly yeah that could go badly yeah he is not gonna have any qualms about having you killed oh no (laughs) Um, we're going to talk about that in a bit actually so so don't even worry Um, so Mal makes the decision Mm -hmm. that he's going to invite the American ping pong team to China right and they're going to get to have a little tour and it's going to be great okay Um, and so he sends word to the Chinese ping pong team yeah with whom he's been communicating three times a day. Oh. Like, the whole time they've been in Japan. Bloody hell. I know. Um, they were, at this point, they were pretty much the only people allowed out of China, so yeah. it was a really big deal. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so he tells them, look, we're going to get the Americans to come to China yeah. at the end of these games. So it's not even, like, in a few months. Right. It's like... In a week, maybe? Like, they'll come to China. Wow. Which is just insane. That is insane. Especially given that they are not diplomats. No. (laughs) (laughs) They are just some people, mostly very young. Yeah. So, this gets even odder, really, by the way that they get invited. So, Song Zhong, who is the head of the Chinese delegation... Yeah. um, ...rides up in a taxi... Um, and finds Rufus Harrison, who was just a member of the team. He wasn't the head of the team. Hmm. He was just a table tennis player. Yeah. And he was trying to get a taxi. But instead, Song Zhong gets out in front of him, along with all these other Chinese military types. And Song Zhong says to him, how would you respond to being invited to China? <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. Like, How do I even respond to this? He tries not to smile because yeah. he's like, that would be great. I'd love to do that because we're a really crap team. Like, no one cares about us. We're yeah. not getting exciting invitations. Imagine getting invited to China at this point. That's like really, really exciting and really mad at the same um, time. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. <laughs> so Harrison um, goes back to the team. It's like, um, he actually is quite diplomatic about it. He says, I'd have to think about it because some of the younger members wouldn't be able to pay to get to China from mm. Japan. And Song Zhong says, we would accommodate any necessary expenses. Oh, wow. Which... They really want them to come to China. They really want them to come to China. <laughs> and that would be the point where I would panic, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're like, this is a trap, right? Yeah, like... we are going to get made into political prisoners yeah. for some reason, like... This is insane. <laughs> so he goes back to the US team and is yeah. like, um, guys. <laughs> guys, we're being kidnapped. Come guys, join. <laughs> do you want to go to China? And everyone's like, oh my God, I really want to go to China. <laughs> that sounds incredible. But the problem is that they can't find the head of the team 
because he's out shopping with his wife at this point. So they're right. like, where is he? We we have to make some kind of decision. And can we even do this? Yeah. Because at this point in time, American passports had a line in them saying that they couldn't travel within mainland China. Right. So literally, they're not actually allowed to go. Yeah. That sounds like at that point, you want to go to the American consulate or something. And And that's exactly what Harrison did. Hey, excellent. Well, I'm glad that, you know, we're both being sensible about this. You are sensible about this. So is Harrison. (laughs) Pass the buck. Yep. So Harrison calls up the US embassy in Tokyo. Yeah. And according to him, the voice on the other end of the line when he's like, can we do this? Can we go to China? Is like, yeah, just go. <laughs> like, And he says that it's in a sort of like, everyone goes to China kind of way. Right, like, okay. Of course, everyone goes to China. Americans haven't been in China for like 15 years at this point or longer. I'm not entirely sure. Everyone goes to China. I'm in China right now. <laughs> yeah. How are you in China? You're part of the um, embassy in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's just the done thing. Mm. You, you, you're a bit bored of Japan. You just pop over to China and just like have all your calls redirected. That's very true. It's no big, di- no yeah. biggie. It's oh, just yeah, the Cold War. Like nothing's yeah. going on. It's Cold War. It's not a hot one. It's fine. Except it's for Vietnam. Well, yeah, but you know. Yeah. We Ex- don't go there. I'm in China, not Vietnam. So the reason why there was like this really blase attitude about it was because he talked to this guy called Bill Cunningham, Mm -hmm. um, who was responsible for knowing about China, basically, from Japan. Right. Um, And he had interpreted a single line from an annual report on foreign relations from the president to Congress. Yeah. um, As meaning they could go. Oh, okay. This line said... The United States is open to educational, cultural, and athletic exchanges with the People's Republic of China. Right. Yeah, that makes sense then. So this guy's like, yeah, yeah, they can go. And then after saying that, he's like, um, can they go though? Like, that's probably fine. And he has to actually have a discussion with people. But mm. no, he said they can go. Yeah. Uh, they go over, like, they send a couple of people from the team to Tokyo yeah. with the passports because they think they n- might need, like, an official yeah. stamp or something like that. Uh, they get told what they need to do while they're in China, mm-hmm. uh, which includes don't grope any women. <laughs> God. <laughs> Which I think says a lot about both China at the time and America at the time. Yeah. Uh, apparently, um, oh, who's who's our favourite guy at the moment? Uh, give me a second. Oh, yeah. Apparently, Glenn Cohen had previously been seen uh, basically sitting next to some lady that he didn't know, putting his arm around her shoulders and groping her breast. Oh, and no. Yeah, so this was a thing. Yeah. Um, apparently, a Russian embassy member had at some point also groped a Chinese lift attendant and immediately been expelled from the country like yeah fair enough like so I think we can go from this people were pretty gross in the 1960s I mean they still are they still are but they were more casually gross yeah Um, and also China was not into that at all Mm. which is one thing to say about the cultural revolution there's a lot you could say <laughs> about the Cultural Revolution. I don't think I don't think there is enough time to talk about that here. We're going to talk about the Cultural oh Revolution in a bit. <laughs> not yet, no. not yet. Okay, so the team were free to go. Mm-hmm. And so the team went. Now, I was reading a book about this. There's a lot about what happened and what went on and the fact that Glenn Cohen was actually high most of the time because he'd managed to smuggle weed into China. Wow. 
Um, but I feel like we don't really need to talk about it here. Effectively, they were treated really well. And they were allowed to take some press with them, which oh, was really important. Yeah. The press had not been allowed into China no. for a really long time. Um, so as a result of this, and the sort of first glimpse into China and all the coverage, mm-hmm. China suddenly became much more popular with average Americans. Right. Um, they held a Gallup poll in the US that showed that for the first time ever, the number of Americans in favour of China's inclusion in the United Nation had become a majority. Wow. So at this point, China wasn't a member of the United yeah, Nations. Yeah. Taiwan was, I think. Ah. But Awkward. I know. <laughs> but now we've got this got to this point where Americans aren't rabidly against the Chinese, which yeah. they had been for a lot of the Vietnamese war, for kind of obvious reasons. I mean, I'll say, as like a, a um, PR stunt, this is going swimmingly for China. It's going really well. <laughs> and it only continues to get better. Oh my God. Because on the basis of this Gallup poll, mm-hmm. on the same year, Henry Kissinger yeah. uh, flew secretly from Pakistan to Beijing. Oh, right. Um, and this was so secretive that he actually claimed to be ill and say that he was having a couple of days on a retreat in the ah, mountains. I see, yeah. He sent a double in his car into the mountains wow. in his place and then flew to Beijing. <laughs> That's amazing. And so he met with the premier, Zhu mm-hmm. Enlai, and as a result of this really positive meeting in July... Nixon announced to the world that the meeting had happened. Right. And that he, Nixon, would be meeting with Mao in February of the next year. Ooh. Um, They also lifted their embargo against China in June of that year. um, And they managed to come and get into this really positive, like, despite Vietnam, relationship. Um, They signed an agreement to say that they would maintain positive relations with each other. And Mao gifted... Nixon, two um, two panda cubs. This is mad. Yeah. This is utterly insane. And just because, you know, someone met someone else at a ping pong tournament mm-hmm. and was like weirdly chill about it. Yeah. I- <laughs> Isn't that great? And it all stems out of that one moment of just meeting and yeah. being quite chill and doing something nice. Yeah. That's mad. But what if that wasn't a coincidence? <gasps> Was it all planned? Well, that's what Nicholas Griffin, who wrote Ping Pong Diplomacy, thinks. Ooh. He thinks the whole thing was planned. Ooh, I love me some, like, historical reevaluation by a specific historian. Oh, yes. <laughs> We've just had Caligula. <laughs> we have. Now, in order to think about why Nick Griffin thinks this was planned, mm-hmm. we have to look back at the history of the Chinese table tennis team. Because okay. I've told you a, a reasonable amount about the US table tennis team. Yeah. The Chinese table tennis team had had a very different experience. Right. So, 10 years before, in 1961, Peking had hosted the World Table Tennis Championship. Okay. And this was going to be a really big deal for them, and so they made a really big deal out of their table tennis champions. Mm. Um. The Americans had chosen not to attend on this case, which right. is why yeah. it had been so long since Americans had gone into China. Yeah. Okay, so they decided they needed a team that would show the world that China was a massive success. Mm, makes sense. That's and, generally what China does. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and they had 
held tournaments with thousands and thousands of participants, mm-hmm. um, out of whom they had chosen 108. Right. And this is a special number with deep significance because of a story in China that's a bit like their version of Robin Hood. It's about right. 108 people standing up against um, some really oppressive emperors. Right, I see. Um, so 108 of them were trained in a special training ground over the winter before the 1961. Sorry, it's just a special ping pong training ground. Yes. I- when you say something like special training ground, like obviously I imagine something very military. So I'm imagining like a military base and you sort of zoom in, you go through the window and it's just mm-hmm. a load of people playing ping pong. It's pretty much like that as uh, far as I can make out. Like this whole operation is almost military precision yeah. as far as I can tell. The only thing that makes it different from every other sort of organization in China at the time is that they're trying to encourage people to have in individual and different skills so that they can take on every different person they might meet in um the ping pong tournament right yeah okay we need you you're good against fire type (laughs) you're good against electric type oh man it was worse like there was there were people who had been trained specifically to emulate a specific foreign player's style. Oh, wow. So they knew that that foreign player was good against these other foreign yeah. players. So if these other foreign players came up, they could send out this guy. Bloody hell, that is meticulous. It's meticulous. And exhausting, it sounds like. Well, the thing is that the whole thing was organized by He Long. Mm-hmm. And He Long had been one of the 10 marshals of the People's Liberation Army. Oh, okay, right. Well... He knows how to organize something. He knows how to organize <laughs> things. He's a general. Um, he's like at the heart of communism. Mm. And he's really, really into ping pong. So much so that when the People's Liberation Army were, ha- were like holding up in the mountains of China, yeah. he used to get Mao to play ping pong against him. And he encouraged <laughs> all of the soldiers to do this as well. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, China, you crazy. Oh, it gets weirder. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Like, very little is going to surprise me at this stage, I feel. Mm-hmm. So, the thing was that also at this time, mm-hmm. with these 108 people, they were fed three full meals a day. They were allowed to have new clothes whenever they wanted them, and they were allowed as many ping pong balls as they wanted. <laughs> now, that sounds like a really basic thing to say. Yeah. This was during the Great Leap Forward, which was like China's way of trying to catch up with more developed countries around the right. world. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the things that happened during the Great Leap Forward was that they said, okay, everything has to be done according to communist principles. Right. So normally when you plant seeds, mm-hmm. you plant them at certain distances from each other. Right? Because right. that way they can their roots have space yeah. to grow. They said that seeds have to be planted really close to each other because, like people, seeds will succeed if they are close. That's just bad farming. <laughs> it is, but this is what the peasants were instructed to do. Oh, those poor peasants. Yeah. There were also a lot of other really bad practices. For yeah. example, the four pests. Um, were four different animals that Mao said were killing the people in various ways. Right. One of the pests was sparrows. Oh. Because they said that sparrows were stealing seed from the peasants. Right. So over the course of one year, like one particular summer, he had 
everyone in China go out on their rooftops and out on the streets waving um, like material and sheets to try and discourage sparrows from resting anywhere. And they killed the sparrows from exhaustion. Oh my God. In that year, centipedes, populations, yeah. massively exploded. Yeah. Nearly all the trees in Beijing died. Oh my God. Um, and famine happened yeah. in a really big way because the sparrows weren't keeping down, you know, pests. Yeah. Oh my God, that's insane. Yeah. But it just goes to show, you know, ecosystems. Ecosystems are really important. <laughs> um, so basically... This is why Australia doesn't want people introducing weird animals to it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Yeah. So basically, while the whole of China is starving, mm. except for like very small parts of Beijing, yeah. um, the ping pong players are well fed they are well looked after. They're invited to parties. They are basically hanging out with all of these like really high-ranking people because they did really well right. in 1961. Yeah. And they become like heroes of the people. Um, this is also partly because they effectively became ambassadors for China. Yeah. Because they could get sent outside the country and, you know, they're such nice young people and they're really good at their job, which is to be good at ping pong. Mm. Um and so it makes sense to give them special treatment because they are spreading the ideals of communism. Ah, through ping pong. Through ping pong. <laughs> they only serve on the left. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, you joke. But <laughs> <laughs> It does sound like the sort of mad thing they do. Um, later on during the Cultural Revolution, <laughs> yeah. there was a point where they applied the principles of the Cultural Revolution, which were quite um, quite straightforward in a twisted sort of way mm. uh, to ping pong balls. Right. So they said when ping pong balls were produced, if they rolled out of the machines in a straight line, then they were fine. Right. If they rolled to either side, then they were deviants and had to be thrown away. Oh my God. Cultural revolution. Why are you so creepy? Yeah. <laughs> and let's get on to the cultural revolution because it's starting. The oh. great leap forward is over. And in 1966... Yeah. The ping pong team go to Sweden. Um, they do a little bit of a well-being tour. Like they want to, they want to show off their skills. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they come back, the airport is almost completely deserted. Yeah. Um, Zhu Yinshen, who is one of the ping pong players, is immediately arrested. Oh my god! Um, it's the Cultural Revolution, yeah. everyone. Do you think it was them leaving that caused it? Because like there was some sort of stabling influence there. No, because they were constantly leaving. Oh, like right. they were constantly traveling around the world. Oh, fair enough. Um, I think it's just you know, it's partly Mao and it's partly Mao's wife who wanted a load of power. Right. Yeah. Style. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The I'm not going to talk about the cultural no, revolution I mean, too much, but I am going to talk about how it affects the table tennis players. Yeah, fair enough. Because I, I, I've I've read the Three Body Problem series, and that starts off with the Cultural Revolution. Yeah. And its influence, particularly on this one woman's life, and it's horrible. Oh yes. Oh yes. It's <laughs> oh, hideous. There are many reasons that I feel I'm going to struggle to read that series again. That is one of them. <laughs> okay. So basically, for people not in the know about the Cultural Revolution, we're not going to talk about it too much. Mm. But in 1966, Mao goes, I want more power and influence, especially over young people. Yeah. So let's just say that all the young people are now allowed to leave their villages because they were trapped in one place mm. before. Um, and they can become 
um, the Red Guard and they can show that they love the idea of communism by getting rid of all authority members. Mm. Let's start off with teachers. You're allowed to beat your teachers to death now. Yep. That kind of thing is going on. That happens in three-body problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so at first, the table tennis players were safe. Right. Except, obviously, for Zhu. Yeah. Um, this was because He Long and Zhu Enlei were in charge of them, so they had kind of, like, powerful protectors. Right. And also because table tennis had been seen as encouraging the spirit of communism. Right, So yeah. they felt, you know, we've been doing our job. Yeah. We've not betrayed anything. We're fine. Yeah. But then they banned practicing table tennis. What? Because they started to think, you know, part of the problem is that we don't want people to be seeking out individual goals. We don't want them to be following trophyism. Yeah. So it's okay to show it's okay to use table tennis as entertainment for other people Mm. but you can't be practicing it because you're trying to get better and that's for you right yeah and then uh i i I hope i'm going to say her name right Mm. then zhang ching who was mao's wife yeah called he long a traitor oh no um now zhu and lei (sighs) tried to hide he long yeah uh but he was found. Yeah. And he was subjected to what were called struggle sessions. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So struggle sessions are basically just a form of torture mm. and interrogation. But then they'd let you go home at the end of it. And, like, and then they'd get you in the next day yeah. and do it again. Um, and they did these struggle sessions to him for a while. And eventually they said, okay, you're definitely a traitor. Um, we are going to imprison you within your home. And we're not going to give you access to your insulin anymore. Mm. Instead, we are going to give you shots of glucose. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus. So he's basically trapped in his house, slowly dying of diabetes. Yeah. Um, this is not a good thing for table tennis. Well, n- uh, no, of course not. <laughs> um, <sighs> the struggle session started to be used against the table tennis players at this point because of their trophyism. It's going to get dark, and I'm sorry. I'm so sad. So. It's so warm, and I'm so sad. Um, I'm not going to talk about everything that happened to the table tennis team, because it, it is pretty damn sad. Mm. Um, three of them died during this oh point. Oh, God. Um, one of them was almost definitely murdered. Right. Uh, two of them, it looks like it was suicide after the struggle sessions, yeah. including the coach. Um, but I'm going to talk about Zhuang Zedong. The man who gave the presents yeah. in 1971. Yeah. So you know he survives. Yeah, yeah. He had been subjected to the struggle sessions as well. Um, he'd been pretty cool about it, I've got to say, because his struggle sessions were those ones where like, the torture was making him stand in particular ways for oh, hours. like stress positions. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and what he'd done was he'd go back to the rest of the table tennis team because they were all still living together in yeah. this like military training ground thing almost Um, he'd go back to them and explain how to do it and how to do it best then he'd eat and go to bed oh my god like what a champ he was an absolute champion in regards to this yeah um it started to get really bad for him though um for a number of reasons like partly because um his wife was a pianist yeah and that was one of the old things that um mao was particularly against 
Um, and also because he had been the three-time world champion, mm. so he was the worst in terms of trophyism. Yeah, I get that. So the people really, really turned against him. And so, but uh, he ended up, from all this torture, signing a character poster against He Long. Right. So he said, He Long has uh, been a traitor to China. Yeah. And also he said that he had personally suffered from being part of the table tennis team, that it had been bad for his physical well-being and his mental well-being. Yeah, torture was fine. The torture but, you know, was absolutely the fine. Pong, that was true torture. Yeah. Like, also, hilarious given that the table tennis team were like some of the few well-fed yeah. people in China for all that time. And He Long had apparently been like super nice to them the whole time and yeah. like really loved them. So it must have been a hell of a thing. So by the end of 1968, he had been imprisoned. So Damn. had his wife... And so had his father-in-law. And they used to take him out and beat him with sticks in front of the public. At one point, a red guard held up his right hand, which was the hand he played table tennis with, and threatened to cut it off. Oh my god. Yeah. So. This has gone really dark. I know. But this is the reason why I have to talk about it. Because this is Zhuang, right? Yeah. He has had this hideous time under the Cultural Revolution... And he knows that if he puts a foot out of line, that's going to happen to him again. Yeah. Because the Cultural Revolution is still going on. It goes on for like 10 years. Yeah, it's pretty long. So why would he risk it again by opening up relations with the American he's been told not to talk to? He's just that ballsy. <laughs> but he signed against He Long. Yeah. Well, He Long was a traitor. <laughs> well, we know he long was not a traitor. <laughs> no, okay. So you're suggesting that this this was like something that he was instructed to do. This, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And there's a little bit of evidence to suggest this as well. Okay. So Zhuang always said that the moment on the bus had been spontaneous. Mm. Every single one of his interviews, he was like, it's a spontaneous moment. I was inspired by Confucianism um, to like be accepting and a good host. Yes. Um, but he did once admit something interesting. Okay. He said that before... He, he said, Mao told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we were having tea and he was like, hey, go befriend the Americans. And I was like, chill, Mao. Oh, wow. Imagine if that had been the case. Um, no, he once admitted that before he had left China for Japan, he had gone to a warehouse to get a large silkscreen portrait for an American. Oh, and he said, I thought it had to be a large one. Right. So he's like... 12 miles <laughs> long. He's made this decision even before he's gone to yeah. Japan. He's going to get a silkscreen portrait for an American. Mm. We know oh, yes. that the Chinese foreign ministry kept a warehouse, which right. was graded with gifts for foreign dignitaries. Right. And that it was always decided in advance what level of gift a diplomat would receive. Right. So could it be that Zhuang went to was sent to this warehouse to get a specific gift that had been chosen in advance to give to one of the American team? Or maybe he was went to, he was meant to give it to a diplomat and it was a hilarious misunderstanding. <laughs> sort of like an episode of Frasier. Yeah. I mean, could be. But there's also the thing about getting on the bus. Yeah. Glenn said that he was yeah. invited, and that seems like it's 
kind of likely, mm. especially because he was the one who had already had an encounter with one of the Chinese players yeah. and shown that he was going to be friendly. Yeah. And he seemed to be a good person to choose. Mm. So because he's off his tits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I not, don't. I don't think they knew. <laughs> he's not going to panic about it. Look at how high he is. <laughs> so, Just make sure there are a lot of snacks on that bus. There aren't any snacks. It's the Chinese. <laughs> they don't have any food. Well, you know, they're getting. Well, no, they're not getting their meals anymore. I suspect. Are uh, they? I, I don't know. I yeah. don't think so. Um. So, this is the suggestion. What if? This moment, this delightful little meet cute that changed the world, mm-hmm. was actually a decidedly political thing from the very beginning, and that had, had it had been decided to happen way before the Chinese went to Japan. Man, it would have been a real bugger if the American team couldn't get the money together to go. <laughs> I know, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would have changed history right there. It really would. I mean, I'm not sure how Glenn got the money. I think his family were fairly wealthy, so he he would he would have been okay. But mm. yeah, and the thing is that it also always seems like the Chinese suspect that the Americans are also being instructed by their government, like the American ping pong team. Yeah who have got nothing to do with their government at all. Yeah. Anyway, this idea that ping pong yeah. um, had this secret political hidden agenda the whole time yeah. is only backed up when, we, when I tell you that the original founder of the International Table Tennis Championships was himself a communist and a spy. <sighs> But I'm going to tell you about him next week. Oh. So come back for that time when ping pong was always political. Well, will there be will there be more cultural revolution? There won't. It's all the fun side of communism, none of the dark side. Oh, yay. Those wacky communist times. Absolutely. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at that time when four, and if you give us a little shout out on there, we'll give you a little shout out on the show. If you have any suggestions for episodes, you can email them to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you as always to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has put in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and approach American ping pong players. Goodbye.